0: A quality management consultant since 1991, Eric Marcus knows quality when he sees it and he hasn't seen it in baseball in a really long time. He thinks a lot of fans will agree, especially after they read his book, Going, Going, Gone, how MLB is destroying our national pastime. I know one fan who will definitely agree, and that's my husband, longtime Yankee fan who screams at the TV on a regular basis. And I got to tell you, he definitely agrees. The MLB has taken the fun out of baseball.
1: Well, he should buy my book. All right. And you know, I've had a lot of uh, feelings about how baseball has really gone uh, downhill and out of my life really for the most part. Uh, and uh, what really triggered me, believe it or not, is uh, my brother who lives in Ohio and he's a child psychologist
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he's writing a book about child psychology. And I was like, hmm, maybe I should write a book because I have a lot of you know feelings and, uh, and opinions about, you know, I'm a big sports fan, but especially about baseball. And that's what kind of spurred me to start. He, he gave me, he put the bug in my ear. About, hmm, that's an interesting idea. And I just went from there.
0: What frustrates you the most about what's going on in Major League Baseball? Well, there's a lot of things uh, that
1: I, I, I'm very unhappy with. Uh, probably number one on my list is that there are no more pennant races. When I grew up, the uh, Yankees and the Red Sox the, in 1978, they each won their last 14 games in a row to set up that famous playoff game. And it was just so exciting. So electric. So, you know, amazing. They're tracking everything every single day. And nowadays they both would have been locked into playoffs like around June 1st (laughs) because they were both. So everything was on the line. And nowadays they have all these wild cards and all these other things. And that that was the best part of baseball to me is the pennant races. And, And the book I get into, uh, Quite a few different pennant races i was part of and uh, went to see and things like that that's number one team could be at 500 and still make the playoffs and it's just, it's just it's so diluted and you just don't have these you know you know i know they're trying to get more teams involved and keep the fans interested but when i was growing up if you didn't win that division or didn't win your league you weren't going anywhere and the intensity of it all was just amazing so, you know, it all started around seven years old. Um, that's where my book starts, in the, in the, the prologue. And I'm watching the World Series game in 1962 and the Yankees and the Giants. And it's game seven. And it's going down to the ninth inning. And we have a one-run lead. And the Giants have second and third and two out. And Willie McCovey's up. And there was about 10 of my dad's friends and 10 of my friends just totally glued to this. I was seven years old. And it was when I really first started being a fan. And what ended up happening was when we hit this wicked line drive, you know, we all gasped. <laughs> I'll never forget it. <laughs> and then it went right into Bobby Grisham's glove and they won game seven. And from then on, I was hooked.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so exciting.
1: Yeah, it so really cool. was. So a lot of that's part of it disappeared. Um, when I grew up, uh, it's just so much different now. When I grew up, all the kids were playing ball, stick ball wiffle ball, collecting trading cards. I mean, we were outside all the time. That's all we did. And nowadays, I don't see anybody out there, maybe a little league game or something, and the kids just aren't into it. They're, they're, uh, they're losing their future fan base. Me and my friends all grew up huge baseball fans, and now it's just, it's not there. It's sad.
0: Well, like when we were kids, we had stickball across the street in the field, uh-huh. right? Yep. And Absolutely. you definitely don't see that. All you, what you see now are these leagues every town has a league and you have to try out for the league and then you play in the league and then there's a traveling league. And, um, it seems, you know, And yeah. every kid has to have a uniform and every kid has to get a trophy and it's not just going out and playing baseball yeah. just for the heck. Is that what you're talking about?
1: Yeah. Also, uh, when I was a kid and, you know, a teenager, we went to games all the time at Shane Yankee stadium, double Sunday, doubleheaders. They were the best. These, those things don't exist anymore. Sunday double have been replaced by day night double hairs that you need two tickets for, and uh, we used to go just my friends and I. We didn't even have parents a lot of time. We went on the bus, said goodbye. They packed the lunch for me, and we went to Shea Stadium for six or seven hours for a double header and come home.
0: So you could and go the- to a double header when you were a kid and you just paid for one game, a dollar twenty five. A dollar twenty five.
1: Seventy five cents for uh, for uh, the bus. <laughs> And, uh, my mom would pack me a lunch and we sit in the upper deck and have a great old
0: time. I mean, 10, 12 years old, we were doing this.
1: Well, yeah, kids these days, they can't do that without their parents. They can't even go trick or treating without their parents.
0: Well, they can't afford it without their parents.
1: Yeah. And then the, that's another part of the book is the prices and these gazillion dollar salaries. I mean, players back then didn't play for the money. They played for the pride and they stayed on their teams and it's just, it's everything so different, uh, I also don't like many of the rule changes that they've come up with. You know, some are just downright horrible, changing the game. So that's another thing I get into my book. I also talk about uh, the different uh, cheating incidences and lying, people lying about things.
0: You talking about the Astros and banging on the? Yeah, that's
1: part of it. On uh, banging the on whole, the, kid. Uh, you they know, didn't no repercussions for that. And uh, you know, all the steroids and all this other cheating incidences and. It just really has diminished the game badly. And then they reward some of these people, like uh, Alex Rodriguez, a famous Yankee player. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was good, but he got suspended for two whole seasons for performance-enhancing drugs. Right. Two whole seasons. They threw him out. So what do they do now? He's the Sunday night voice of ESPN baseball. Why would you reward someone like that who cheated like that with this – multi-million dollar high profile gig there had to be hundreds of other people i would have chosen before him so i just i just don't understand i don't understand that and why he would reward people who cheated
0: i think you said it already it's all about the money right major league yeah. baseball is run by the tv networks right where that what's the what's the most recent rule change that they had was it with the pitchers
1: no, uh, my book came out before they started all this timing stuff.
0: The timing thing. People yeah. were so mad about that. That was this year.
1: Yeah, I uh, I don't know what the rush is. I mean, if I go to a game for three hours, I don't care. I mean, why do they have to rush everything?
0: I think it's about um, fitting the commercials in if you're watching from home.
1: Maybe. They, I don't know. No, other rule changes I didn't like. I hate the designated hitter. It took away about eight or nine percent of the strategy with the pitches and the double switches and all these other things um I, I i now they started this thing last year to speed up the game they start a runner in extra innings on second base and i umpired softball for 30 something years and we had a hour time limit and that's how we were able to extra innings they started with a runner on second base in softball slow pitch softball and then oh my gosh they made that a rule in major league baseball It's just crazy. And uh, so a lot of things like that, Uh, the television stuff is is, is bad. The gambling aspect of it now is unreal. I mean, Pete Rose got busted for gambling on baseball games. Now they have official partners in the Major League Baseball, and it seems like half the commercials you see are about legalized gambling on baseball.
0: And Pete Rose can't get into the Hall of Fame because of that, right? <laughs> right. I know. And now, and yeah. now we're sponsored by DraftKings, right?
1: Exactly. And yeah. you know, again, it's a book. You know, you know, young men, especially, you know, they get addicted to betting, and it could ruin their lives. Yeah. And uh, but but it's bad enough that it's legal everywhere. But the fact that Major League Baseball is now sponsoring it and getting a cut of the action, I think you know, they that, that crossed the line there. And uh, I didn't get into any politics, didn't get into anything like that. Um, but uh, there's quite a few things about different, a lot of things about my heroes growing up and who I really went to see. And I have a, I have a decent collection of cards of some of these heroes, uh, you know, autographed cards that I've kept over the years. And uh, I miss it. So the intent of the book really is to, uh, you know, people my age who can relate to what I went through and what it was like. And then, you know, younger people was like, who had no idea how the game was, you know. Let them know this is what it used to be like, and how exciting and how wonderful and how real and human it was, and uh, versus today, where it's it's a, uh, you know, so commercialized. These thirty million dollar salaries. The Mets have this guy, uh, his pitcher,
0: Justin Verlander.
1: Um, yeah, he's one, and then, uh, you know, they got these pitchers. They're making you know two million dollars a start. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and oh, no. it's like it's just un and then the ticket prices are, are you know out of control. It's it's tough to take your family forward to a game. And uh yeah, Matt Scherzer. He's oh, Max, runner, yeah, but, well yeah. Yeah, he uh he got he's getting one point eight million dollars per start. Right. It's like and then you know, last year he ended up giving seven up seven runs in the playoff game.
0: Right. <laughs> right. Anyway,
1: so there's a lot of things uh, in my book that the readers are going to find out about a lot of experiences and players who I really loved and then the top 10 reasons why I think the sports, you know, has a a very uh, poor long-term future Um, and it's it's not going to be like it was.
0: Do you think ultimately that the sport will suffer? You know, do you think there'll be a time that fans will say, forget about it? I mean, have you just, Given up on baseball? You don't watch your favorite team
1: anymore? Uh, well, I I gave up my baseball package I used to pay for for my satellite.
0: I'll still watch now and then. You know, I, I I live in
1: Maryland, so nothing anywhere near I used to. I mean, I was addicted to it. I'll watch an Orioles game or a Met game if on now and then or parts of it, but my interest has waned horribly. And uh this whole generation, my generation, grew up being baseball fans, and this generation is not growing up being big baseball fans so it can't help but the the interest in the sport has got to wane over time and uh yes i do think it's it's uh it's going to be diminished a lot and uh, i think the bubble's going to burst i don't think they could be able to keep affording these salaries and you know fewer people watching and going to games the sponsors are going to say enough's enough and, uh, and a lot of people i talk to are friends of mine who feel the same way about it. and you know they don't even watch a lot of them yeah and yeah uh, so I, I really think, you know, 15, 20 years from now, baseball's going to be nowhere near as popular as it, as it was. Nowhere near.
0: You must be some fun when you go out and and talk about your book.
1: You know, I bought 100 extra books, and I sold them to a bunch of my friends and to my uh, some of my clients and things like that. Um, I, I did send a letter into the local newspaper, you know, see if they wanted to print my story. Last week, we'll see uh, if they get that. But what they told me was that, One of my first questions was, well, how do I get my book in the 649 uh, Barnes & Noble stores in the country?
0: Uh, All I can tell you, I'm a news reporter. So I'm hired to, to interview people like you, edit it down, put the show together. And the people that are most successful are the ones that get behind their books. They go to libraries and do an author talk. They go to, not necessarily your local Barnes and Noble, but go to a local bookstore, you know, just a regular mom and pop store. And you say, hey, I wrote this book. It would help greatly if your local newspaper actually does an article on you. And I don't know why they wouldn't if, I are you pretty well known in your community? You know, you're, you wrote um, a book and you wrote a book about baseball and you're in Baltimore?
1: Uh, Frederick near Baltimore you're
0: near Baltimore I mean I would think that you could get some attention that way but you're okay. very passionate about your book. You're very passionate about baseball. And I think that yeah. if, if you, you, some people, I've had people say to me, you know, I'm a truck driver. And when I go to a truck stop, I open up the back of my truck and I've got books and I sit and I talk about them. I've had people say, you know, I rented out a bar and I invited my friends who invited their friends. And you have a, you discuss, you can talk about baseball and I'm sure you get some like-minded baseball fans together, you could have quite a discussion. Yeah, so I
1: should do a little bit more.
0: And that's what sells your books.
1: Yeah, I should do a little bit more self-promoting, huh?
0: You, you should do the self-promoting and, like, and, and just aim for making enough money to pay off whatever you spent to publish this book.
1: That's exactly right. <laughs>
0: You know what? If you can just do that much, I talk to people who say, the joy of writing this book is all I need. Mm -hmm. You know, many, a lot of rich people write books and they're just happy to write a book and they don't really care. Or or, or people will say to me, I don't have time to go out and do that. But if you're really passionate about your book, you start where you are Uh and you'll figure it out. Like, you'll figure it out. You know, go to a bar near the stadium in Baltimore before a game. Get some of your friends together. Yeah,
1: that's a good idea.
0: You put it out on the Internet that you're going to be talking about your book at such and such a place at such and such a time and, you know, put it out there. Oh, and another thing, any talk radio stations in your town? Uh, There are. If they're ever talking about baseball, call in. Okay. Call in. And say, hey, I wrote this book, and blah blah blah. Because I'm assuming you had to do quite a bit of research, but it sounds like you pretty much lived everything you talked about. There's only
1: one. There's only one footnote in the whole book. What? Uh, this article was written by this fellow in the New York Post, uh, Phil Mushnick, who I really like. And
0: I love Phil Mushnick. And, yeah, he's very
1: like-minded on what I talked about. And I actually sent him a copy of my book to read to get feedback, and. Uh,
0: Good idea.
1: He's the only one I uh, actually quoted. Everything else is just in my brain. Yeah, but I I appreciate that advice about uh, getting out there and promoting it more myself.
0: They send out press releases. But you know what? It's like, this is what I tell everybody. It's like when you have a baby, right? You carried it for nine months. You gave birth. Nobody cares more about it than you do. You know, Paige is promoting, I don't know how many books. I know I interview like 50 authors a month, 30 authors a month. Oh, wow. It's a lot of people, and, and they do send out press releases all across the country. But if you start where you are, you have a better chance. It's also summer, a great time to read a book like this on the beach.
1: Yeah, and it's only 80 pages, so it's not something that's going to uh, you know, take a lot of commitment to.
0: But that's a good idea. I mean, uh, there are radio
1: stations around here. There's Baltimore. There's D.C. There's book places. And you know, with my business, I have some free time because you know, I set my own schedule. Okay. So, I, so I appreciate that advice. Uh, All right. You know uh, about you know maybe getting out there more and trying to promote it myself more.
0: Yeah, and it's yeah. something you enjoy talking I, about.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I got nothing to lose by doing that.
0: Right. All right, Eric. It was very nice to meet you. Uh,
1: thank you, Alice. So uh, I appreciate it. Good luck with your book. Oh, Alice, thank you so much.
0: You have got it. You have a great day. Having worked for the FBI in Washington, D.C. for many, many years, we can only imagine the stories Wilma J. Roberts could write, but don't bet on it. (laughs) She is a prolific children's book writer, and today we're talking about the lucky little chicken, Wilma. Can you tell me a little bit about what you did in D.C.? I can't tell you. It was an interesting life. Okay, so when did you start writing? My
2: husband was an Air Force pilot. He retired and then well, he had a, a almost fatal stroke, and he was in a nursing home. And I'd go down every day and stay with him all day, and sit beside his bed and talk to him. I wrote most of my most of my stories. I wrote while I was just taking care of him. You're, this
0: is a children's book, right?
2: Yes, it is, it is. I like animals very much, and I like small children. But and I wanted I wanted to send a message, a message or a, a, some kind of a moral, a moral upbringing uh, message to children. And this lucky little chicken. And the last paragraph is about basically what it tells you. Don't try to be like somebody else. Be yourself because you are loved and you are special just the way you are. This is a message to kids that are, say, crippled or wear thick eyeglasses. Somebody that that might feel he's different and that other kids might not might tease him or something, you know, And, and a lot. And that happens a lot in elementary school, even in junior high. And they worry about not fitting in, not being exactly like everybody else. And my story was, don't try to be like somebody else. Just be yourself because you are special and you are loved just the way you are. Do you have children? I have two grown children and three grandchildren.
0: So did they inspire you? Mm-hmm. Not particularly. they just stories that come into my head. Just out of nowhere, while you're sitting by your husband, these stories would just come to you.
2: Yes, that's right. So I have, I think I have four more laying in there on a desk. Well, tell me about the Lucky Little Chicken. His name is Lucky. And uh, his mother laid him. His mother was a chicken. She laid him in a nest. And down the hill from that was Mrs. Duck. And she also had a clutch of nice little eggs that she had just laid. Except on a windy day. One of the little eggs rolled out of, Mrs. of Henry at a hen's nest and rolled down the, hen, down the, down the hill to uh, a Dorothy Duck's nest. And Dorothy Duck wasn't smart enough. She had never done very well in math in, in school, so she didn't know how many eggs she had. And so she, she thought it was her own egg, and, and they all hatched. And, and Lucky hatched out with four little ducks. He tried to be a duck, too. So he, to, he grows up. He sees a, I'm different. I'm a red, and then my brothers and sisters are all white, and they're different. And I don't want like to be different. I want to be the same. So he goes to the big seal of cotton. He stuffs all these little cotton balls under his feathers to make him look like he's white. <laughs> and it doesn't work because a rainstorm comes, and a rainstorm comes and, and washes it, makes his all his little uh, soft balls of white cotton all wet and ugly. And then he goes to the river, and his mother takes him down to the pond, and and uh, to get food, and uh, and they're eating grubs. And he says, "Oh, those grubs make my—they're awful looking. Do you have to eat those things?" And he goes over to a pan of corn in the in the barn and eats some, some corn. And then his, his Mrs. Dorothy Duck takes him down to the the to the stream so I can learn how to swim, and all and the, his little brothers and sisters swim just fine but when lucky hops in all he does is sink he doesn't know how to swim <laughs> he paddles his feet but all his little feet do is just sink into the water so he climbs out and uh, you know he wants to be like them he wants to he does everything he can to change to be like his brothers and he just can't he just can't do it so that was the moral of the story don't try to be like somebody else be happy with what you are and do the very best with what you have <laughs>
0: Oh my god, that's great! Is Lucky in all of the books?
2: No, no, I have different different stories. The next book I have already submitted. is called the Silver Slippers. It's going to come out about Christmas time because it's about a Christmas story.
0: Well, do people know that you're writing these children's books?
2: Yeah, I gave a copy to my guy that cuts my grass his for his children. I gave a copy to my to my grandchildren and to my next door neighbor for her little
0: children. You're just giving them away.
2: Yeah. No, I never talk. You know, it's too egotistical to go out and say, well, I publish books and all that. I'm still working. What do you do? I don't work for pay. I work as a volunteer. I've been volunteering doing volunteer work in community for the last 12 years.
0: Oh, that's great. Do you bring your books with you? No, I. no one knows whether I've ever published a book, honey. Well, you should tell somebody, Wilma. I think you should tell somebody. I, I work at the courthouse. I work in the, with helping with the jury. And I bet they all have children, or they have grandchildren, or they know somebody who, have, who has children, and I bet they love you. They might like the book, yes. <laughs> You're not so sure about you, huh? Well, I don't like to be,
2: you know, I'm there to help with the jury and to help in the in, in law enforcement, and I don't want to, uh, it sounds like bragging to say, well, I just published a book,
0: and I don't want to be that way. You're not bragging, because your books have a message you're trying to educate children yeah so don't look at it like you're bragging okay you know what i mean okay i understand if people know you at the courthouse Mm -hmm. or wherever wherever your travels are you might even have a local bookstore a lot right uh, we have a bookstore within a half a mile of my house is called um books a million would you mind reading your book to a bunch of little kids Of course not. I'll do whatever, you know. There might be a summer reading program or some kind of program for kids. And with your background, I'm sure they can trust you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
2: I think so. Never late for an appointment. Always pay my bills on time.
0: Yeah. You should write a book about that.
2: (laughs) Well, Silver Slippers Mm -hmm. will come out about Christmas time. Okay. The next one I'm going to submit is called um, On Wings of Friendship. I like that. It's about a little mouse. He's going down the street. He hears his cry. He looks over and a seagull had flown into a rock and he was hurt. he hurts his wing. It hurts his leg. And this little mouse comes and he brings food to him and helps him. But then later on a storm comes and this little mouse's house with his mom and his little sister they're in danger. And the seagull that he had helped him keep from dying because he brought him food all the time so he got better the seagull comes and puts the mouse's family puts them on his wings and flies them out to safety
0: that is sweet that is so sweet Wilma anyway that's what the story's
2: about I want all my stories if I can to have some type of a moral a moral fiber woven in there because the world as we all know needs a lot more love We need to spread more love and kindness and understanding, if we can. And it starts with the youth. If they know as a child that you help older people when you can, you don't make fun of people because they're different. Treat people with kindness because it's the right thing to do. That's the kind of stories I want to
0: write. That's the kind of stories I want children to read. Good for you. You're an inspiration. Thank you. All right. Listen, thank you so much for calling me back. Uh-huh. You're most welcome, honey. You have a great day.
2: I will. Every, honey, my mother told me years ago, every day above ground is a good day.
0: <laughs> here, here, Wilma. <laughs> thank uh, you. Thank you so much, Wilma. Have a great one. I will, honey. Bye, Bye-bye. Bye. A pet sitter and dog trainer for almost 20 years, Kimberly A. Mercer Wagner started writing Turning Point, in 2006 and finally it's published now I know that sounds like a really long time but this is one major accomplishment isn't it Kimberly
3: well I have a learning disability so I didn't know what it was I was never really diagnosed until I had to do it myself when I was older Um, I had to go to hospital university and get uh, physically diagnosed I paid a thousand dollars but it was worth it because I figured out what it was it's uh Um, Besides promoting my book, I'm trying to promote people who have a learning disability, trying to achieve their goals without getting frustrated.
0: What's your learning disability?
3: It's uh, auditory dyslexia. Okay. So basically, if you tell me to go get a gallon of milk, I come back to give you a gallon of orange juice. (laughs) And that's the the, um, analogy I can give you.
0: So it's a processing thing.
3: Right. And so I do, basically, it's called um, an oratorial um, uh, program. It's, uh, it's a learning program. It basically it redirects your mindset when you put it on. It has a lot of um, classical music, Gregorian chant, but basically redirects your mindset. So if you, you know you have, you have a, a left and a right brain. So whatever uh, language that I have, it makes it power- more powerful than the other side of the brain.
0: So the fact that you were able to write a book at all is pretty amazing.
3: Well, I went to, besides, I went to a lot of therapy, a lot of, um, you know, mental health therapy. And also I have a, a tutor that I was learning how to do English because I didn't know really. You know, I didn't know what to do because back then when I was in, you know, in school, they didn't know anything about what it is. You know, it's all all oh, dyslexia. You had it, what you call it, um... Oh, you can't read. It's like I can read. I can read the letters. Everything's fine. It's just telling me directions verbally. I couldn't figure it out.
0: Oh, I see. You but know? they didn't know back then. No, they didn't know they what didn't to do. They didn't
3: know doing. them. But, right. But now I know what to do, and and knowing is half the battle. So basically, when I had a learning disability, it was kind of like a shun. It was kind of like a dark cloud over my head. Like I didn't know what to do. I was very depressed. You know, they were more. Involved, they were more concerned about my mental state than regarding what do I do next because I wasn't really up for grabs regarding college. I didn't go to college. Right. I, you know, they didn't tell me that. They didn't tell me, oh, you take the SAT, you know that stuff. I did I was stuck. Right. So my husband helped me regarding um, the hearing program. Um, also, I got a tutor. So I told her. I told my friend Connie let's do the book. And she says, Oh, no, don't do it. I said, I gave her one page. And it was all she was a teacher. So she had all read all over the piece of paper, one page. And she told me not to do it. I said, Well, I'm doing the English. Let's challenge myself, see how far I can go. I'm very creative. So I found out my creativity is stronger than book smarts. I said, well, "Let's figure that out." I can't, you know, solve world hunger. I'm not a, an engineer, but I can do. I'm very creative. I'm very good at trying to figure out, like,
0: like my book. Well, when um, I when I read about your book, I yes. thought, geez, if any of this is real, if any of this is real life, this is pretty." <laughs> it's like a James Bond book almost, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like James Bond 24,
3: you know that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, 24. But, but, I love that but, show. I love, I love that 24. Show
3: too yeah
0: but but, so-
3: but but guess what the, this character Keith Hayden is is trapped as his own he's trapped in his own self. he never went to therapy he never went to uh, mental health therapy to get resolved of his past. He was stuck so basically he's like okay I'm gonna be become I have a, a young family I'm becoming to be a de agent I have to do this do that but he never resolved he never figured out the core of his problems. Okay. So guess what? It haunted him in his future, his 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 present and his future. Meanwhile, his wife is like going against everything he's trying to do. So it's not help. It doesn't
0: help anything. Well, you you say that you know she's not being very nice. No, she's not. She's cheating.
3: Right, she's cheating. But basically, she's replacing what his father used to do. His father was a womanizer. His father was uh abusive, verbally and physically. His wife is the same way, so he's used to that. A therapy. I had a lot of anger, frustration. It was a lot. I mean, I dealt with a lot over my years. And it's like, well, let's do it because this, this works. This helps me regarding my, you know, going to therapy. But this helps me regarding my English, my creativity. And I, when I was young, I wanted to write a book, and someone told me, oh, you can't, you can't read. That's what in your mind, or what? So that that determination made me want to do more. I say, well, I'm going to do it.
0: So you say here that, you know, Agent Hayden is heading towards destruction and worst but, of all, his unhappy childhood. So I guess but, that's something relatable right there.
3: Oh, yeah, because it's a dark secret and he didn't want to admit it. So he overrides it. It's like, oh, no, I don't have a problem. I had a great childhood. Meanwhile, he didn't. You know, and like I, I know I have a learning disability, but no one knew about it. But now they know. <laughs> right. And then you
0: throw in the drug lords lurking.
3: Right, right. Because, because he, I guess he, his business is business, you know, he's got to be an agent. He's got to protect, he's got to protect the community.
0: So he's a good agent.
3: He's a good agent, but he was very confused at the same time because he was battling his personal problem, his, his life, his childhood, he never resolved it. He just finally figured out that he loved his father, he know his father was very ill. He was an alcoholic. He was a womanizer. He was a woman beater. He beat up his wife, his mother. You know, it's it's hard. And he would got, you know, and it's hard to figure out if that's if that was normal. So he just took upon I'm going to raise my children the way I think I can raise them. But meanwhile, he just gave up entitlement because he just let his wife do everything.
0: Right. Right. And that
3: guess what? That's not how it goes. So he now he realized I had to make a turning point. That's the, the title of the book is to to change. If I don't change, it will never happen. So he's got to do, he's got to change. He's got to admit that he has a problem. He's got to admit that he, he had an abusive uh, childhood. He's got to mu- admit that his wife is abusive and he can't, he can't deal with that anymore because it's not going to work out because guess what? He has children that he's got to be responsible for
0: and a career. So, like you, he took matters into his own hands, right, to, uh, to figure it out, right,
3: and not hurting anybody. It's just trying to figure out it. it basically, self improvement. It just should not help. It doesn't help, uh, Doesn't hurt anybody. Right. It just tries to improve yourself. You can't change what other people think and
0: what people do. That is you know? so true.
3: You got to make yourself an example. So, I'm trying to make an example for myself and also for people who have a learning disability that during a time when I was, I mean, I was born in the 70s, so we didn't know that stuff. It's like no one knew. Now, it, you know, now they have resources. Right. Back then, they don't, you know.
0: Do people know you wrote this book?
3: I have I am um, I have uh, family members I have uh, you know social media kind of thing.
0: You're, you you oh, have more than a book here. You have a success okay. story. You're somebody oh, thank nobody you. nobody ever thought you would be able to do something like this and here you are a published author. That's a great story for an author talk at the local library. That's a great story for a school where children like yourself are being helped. Right. You you have a story not just the story of your book, but the story of how you got this book done. That's a good um, idea. I'll have to think about that. You think about that because this right. is great. Good for you. You should be very Thank proud you. of yourself.
3: Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was not easy. And after I finished this book, I cried for it. I mourned for it because it was so many years. I put in all the... It's not just one... It's not that's just the, the author's view. It's every character's view of its of uh, the trial trials and error of life right. you know bec- between um dr elise um uh, shepherd trying to help this agent meanwhile she has uh, a code of ethics she can go to the authorities but that she can't but she's like yeah you know you know gonna help somebody out you know
0: are you gonna keep writing
3: i'm, I'm thinking about it it's, it's 17 years it's, it's a lot between um you know my life itself I, I lost my husband 4 years ago oh, i'm so, sorry yeah so i'm trying to raise my daughter you know in a different state than i used to i used to live in uh, long island new york where my family is so we're trying to get a fresh start and she's doing very well in school so i'm trying to do that you uh, know in between that i didn't know between between my husband passed on my sister and my father passed on within the four four year period so i say well it's now or never get this finished so i can move on
0: (laughs) all right well i wish you the best of luck i thank you Mm